This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have a very special guest today. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi there. Um, my name is Maya Korvik. I'm a CPA, and I help parents teach kids about money. That's awesome. And I hear you recently went on an epic trip and got to ride on some exotic <laughs> animals. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, so um, my family, we love to travel. And of course, after two years of pandemic, we were itching to, to travel. And one of the destinations that we had on our bucket list was uh, Egypt. And that, that was really exciting. But another thing that was on my bucket list was riding a camel, <laughs> which did not turn out to be the way I thought it was going to be. It was actually quite scary. Uh, they are very tall animals. And, uh, you know, when you're up there, uh, or like when I was up there, I was holding on for dear life. Like I was squeezing my legs, like holding on tight. And it was really funny because my kids were having the time of their lives. Arms, legs flying, you know, they're like, mom, relax. And I'm like, I cannot. And my son was, um, it was funny because he's like, mom, you look like a stick. You're standing up, you're sitting up so straight. And he's like, you just have to like ride with the camel. It's like a wave. And it was just really, really funny. I um, didn't expect it to be like that, but I can check it off my bucket list now. Yeah. I've done camel riding. <laughs> was was it the camel with two humps and you sit between them, or how does this work? It was a single hump camel. So you're kind of on top of the hump. And it was what freaked me out was that um, the harness, I mean, it's like there was nothing for you to hold on to except the front. Um, like, a, like a, There's like a little thing in the front. That's it. So... Yeah. Um, you really kind of had to stay up. But I guess the key is to relax. You know when they say even in life, like when certain things are happening, you're just supposed to go with the flow. And I'm not the one that goes with the flow. I like to control things, I think. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask about the two-hump deal. But yeah, I guess with the two humps, it seems like you're maybe a little more steady yeah. in there. It's pretty scary when you sit down and they tell you to actually lean back because when the camel gets up, you, you can really lo- roll forward, or when it's coming down, um, it's like you really have to kind of lean back so that you don't roll forward and fall off of it. <laughs> so did you go around a pyramid, or what did you yeah, do Yeah, so the they had these different packages. Thank God we only did 15 minutes. Uh, the kids wanted to go for longer, but you could go for 15 minutes, half an hour, hour, two hours. We even had friends that ended up going to a different town on camels. There's just, I, mean, I think I would die. <laughs> they would have to, I don't know, strap me to a camel or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, 15 minutes was just enough for me. <laughs> wow. Doug, what is the most exotic animal you have ever ridden on top of? You know what? Probably just a horse. I, I don't ride on very many animals usually, so probably just a horse, which isn't that exotic. How about you? Yeah, I think a horse is probably as good as it gets. I don't. I might have been on an elephant at some point, but maybe as a very oh. small child. Oh yeah, maybe. I think there's a picture of me on an elephant, but yeah, I think it was like two or something, so I don't remember yeah. at all. Um, one thing we didn't mention: people might hear background noise. We're at ThinCon right now and Maya and I met at FinCon last year in Austin so was that your first that was my first FinCon yeah and you were my mentor yeah that's right yeah so we 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 met up up. 
and yeah, yeah, we uh, chatted some. I don't. Did you get anything out of the mentoring relationship? I did, but you know, it was mostly about. I think for me, it was just mostly that um, you introduced me to so many people who, uh, since then, I actually call friends and I follow them on different social media platforms. I've learned so much from them, so I really appreciate that. It's like you put me in touch with all these cool content creators. So awesome. yeah, it's Very been great. Good. Yeah, and uh, FinCon's pretty fun. I uh, don't know how to limit my fun, so that's why my <laughs> voice sounds the way it does. Um, it's just rough. But FinCon's pretty awesome. You came back, and uh, yeah, it's good to see you. So I think we could kind of ramp into it. Yeah, let's do it. Today we are going to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, and that is kids and money and how to teach kids about money, because that is what you do, Maya. Uh, but before we get into that, where are you from and what's your educational background? So I'm originally from Bosnia. Um, I immigrated when I was 15 years old uh, with my parents and my brother, um, two suitcases and $50. We lost everything in Bosnian war. Um, but that was actually, you know, a blessing in disguise because we uh, we lived in shelters and government housing and whatnot. Um, and it really helped me um, get this perspective on you know, money and um, how you can actually still live a decent life even, you know, when you don't have much money, uh, but you have opportunities to, you know, acquire a better life. Um, so I actually ended up um, becoming a CPA um, and um, I worked for some of the big public companies. Um, I was a CFO, I was a tax accountant and um, eventually ended up uh, teaching kids about money and helping parents teach kids about money. So for the past 10 years, that's what I've been doing. So how long were you in the, the corporate uh, grind, I guess? Um, I was in the corporate grind for about 10 years. Um, two years in a smaller public accounting firm and then eight years in the bigger, one of the top four accounting firms that was doing audit. And then I thought it was going to be better if I switched to tax. Um, and it, it wasn't, it was not better, <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot. I uh, acquired lots of skills. I met some incredibly talented people. Um, and it just, you know, you gain these skills that I'm definitely using now. And I find them very helpful um, being an entrepreneur. Um, so yeah, that was that. And then after that, I um, ended up uh, as a CFO of a private school. So I did that for six years, but that was different because it was on my terms. It was part-time. I was, uh, it was a contract position I was not an employee and uh, I could make up my own hours so I can like pick up my kids from school or drop them off to school go to all the assemblies or field trips or whatnot so yeah it kind of worked so and how did you transition from that to what you do currently so actually what happened was uh, when I was in the public accounting um, my husband and I at that I was about 32 years old and we paid off all of our debt all of our mortgage we were debt-free um, and it was one of those moments where um, you know you I actually I had two small kids um, my son was four my daughter was two I was not spending much time with them uh, the work-life balance was not good and I it kind of hit me I realized I'm like I really don't need to be doing this anymore like we're financially free um, 
I was just kind of going along because, you know, when you're in that setting and you're working these insane hours, you don't even have time to look outside and realize, okay, what this, what should this life be all about? And, you know, what's normal out there? Because this seemed normal. Everybody, all my friends, all my coworkers, everybody was doing the same thing. So it just kind of hit me one day and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And thankfully I could quit. And so I did uh, without any plans of what I wanted to do. And people thought I was crazy because they're like, well, you have nothing lined up. And I'm like, I know, but... You know, this is this is uh, what I like. You know, staying here is not an option. So, um, I had some time to kind of really think about what I want to do, and I spent more time with my kids. And then I realized that uh, my kids knew nothing about money. My son was four, and he was at the point in time where he started to ask us to buy him things. Or um, I remember clearly one time he told me he did not like the car I was driving, and he thought I should get a nicer car. And then we had this conversation about how much cars cost. And I realized that, you know, he had no idea um, about money. So I uh, looked into our education system and I wanted to know what it is that they're going to learn at school. And I realized at that time, this is 10 years ago, or a little more than 10 years ago, uh, they weren't going to learn much. Uh, now things have changed for better. Things are still improving. But um, that sort of prompted me to start doing what I'm doing. I started teaching my own kids and other people's kids. I started going to schools. I was doing lots of school workshops prior to COVID. I even uh, did workshops for parents, like through PTA in the evenings. Um, and then COVID hit, so now I'm mostly online, which works as sure. well. Yeah. And before we go on, so you, you realized that you could stop working. Were you following like the financial independence movement or you just, you did, you did no, the math? No, I didn't. I didn't right. really know. Yeah, I did the math. And I think there's that immigrant thing, you know, um, I think it was because I was brought up um, in such, I guess, poor environment. Uh, I just learned to get by with very little. So um, we got by on very little, my husband and I. You know, when your expenses are low, you can uh, pay off your debt quicker. We had some debt. We had $60,000 of debt. Um, it was so funny. Like, my 30000 was um, uh, my student loans and a car that I had to get because I was an accountant. It was conditioned for my job. I had to go to different uh, locations. Uh, but my husband had $30,000 of a party debt. And he's okay with me saying that. Um, so it was funny, but... I mean, it was not funny at the time. I mean, we had once we paid that off, and we were really determined to pay off our mortgage and just be debt free. Um, it just, and I was an accountant, so it was kind of logical. Sure. Um, but it was much later on that I stumbled upon the Phi community. I didn't even know there was a movement for that, and I thought it was incredible. <laughs> right. And you mentioned people thought you were crazy because you didn't have anything lined up. Maybe they thought you were gonna take a sabbatical and find something well later. that's what they did yeah like uh, um uh, the public accounting firm that i was with they were like you know what why don't you just take a year off um you know keep the computer keep yeah. all the equipment that we gave you and um you know in a year tell us if you want to go back and i was if i may share this one thing that made me realize i do not want to go back um so obviously the hours that we were working it was on like nine to five it was like five to nine or like longer and um, we had this office communicator it's kind of like a messenger and besides everybody's name there's like a green dot if they're working and because they gave me the laptop to keep for that year I remember one night um, my husband and I were really tired and I was like you know what let's just watch some Netflix in bed we didn't have a TV in our bedroom so I said I'll just grab my laptop we'll pull it up on uh, we'll pull up Netflix on my laptop and I remember opening my laptop it was 10 o'clock at night we're in bed the kids are in bed 
And I open up the laptop and I look at that office communicator and there are all these green dots, all my coworkers, all my friends, everybody's still working. And I'm in bed and I'm like, there's no way I'm going back. There's no way. I mean, those coworkers are amazing people. I learned a lot, but there has to be work-life balance for me. Sure. Doug, did you ever want to climb the corporate ladder like that? I I guess I'm guessing that's why people do that because they want to get to a place in management or become a partner in the firm or whatever. Did you have any desire? I, I know the answer to this already. Yeah. I just want to hear <laughs> you say it again. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did a, a little bit in the beginning because you get to a company, you go through orientation, especially when you're, you're young and you're trying to follow along and you drink the Kool-Aid and they're indoctrinating you to the thing. So I was like, yeah, a couple years doing this and then maybe you can get promoted and a few more years of that. But once I got to sort of the middle management, um, we had a similar communicator uh, where it would show if you were online. But I would actually, um, you know, if you keep moving your mouse. Oh, so maybe, it, <laughs> did you have the software for it? <laughs> I did, yeah. It's auto mouse mover and you just move it like one pixel over. So it looks like, oh man, Doug's such a hard worker. <laughs> and I would, Carl knows this, but uh, you know, on Outlook, you can schedule emails to go out. So I would schedule emails uh, and it would, would look like right. I'm working really late and... Yeah, so I, I took advantage of what they wanted to see and then made it look like that. You nice. know, I have to say, like, uh, in public accounting, it's impossible to do that. And I'll just tell you quickly okay. why. Because uh, we bill for our hours, same as, like, uh, lawyers do. And then um, if you bill for too many hours, then they ask you, well, this was the budget. Why did you spend so much more time? But and you can't even make up the time because um, every week on Mondays, they used to have this thing that they would send to us and it was um, basically a schedule of people's utilization, how they're utilizing their time. So they were kind of pitting people against each other because you can see everybody's utilization and the person that had the lowest, everybody would like look at them, you know, like give them stern looks and it's like, what are you doing, you know? But um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I guess I never worked at an accounting place, so I found a good spot where I could slip through the cracks and no one knew. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I did my work mostly, so yeah. it, was, it was fun. Okay. I'd like to back up a second with you, Maya. You said something at the start. You said your background gave you perspective on money, but I think we have a mutual friend, and please tell me if I'm messing up her, ta- her name, but Mahila? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Mahila actually came to Canada the same time as we were, fam- we were family friends. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she, uh, she's amazing. I just I just saw her husband Mark walk by like two minutes ago. Right. But uh, I, I don't want to get too deep into this because I'm sure this is rough. But she told me some of the horrors of the the war there. I think she said that in her village maybe one out of four people died, like was shot by snipers. So I mean, you didn't get a perspective on money. You got a perspective on life. Like, yes. You were getting away to save your life. Okay, I, I'm not sure where I was going to go with that, but I, I just. But want I do to. know her. I mean, she came to Canada. I think literally either the same day or maybe a few days later, and we hung out. We were family friends. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you still talk? Uh, sometimes when we see each other, yes. But okay. not, we're, we kind of lost touch because she's in the U.S. now and I'm in Canada. Yeah. But yeah, okay. I see Mark. I spent some time with Mark okay. at the conference. It's a small world. It's amazing yes. that uh, I know you two separately, and then you know each other. But. Right. Yeah. Okay. So how did you, you started teaching your kids about money, you realized they weren't being taught in school, and then you eventually created an online presence around this. So how do you teach kids about money online? 
So now what I have, what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years um, is really convert uh, the materials and the workshops that I teach in person to online. So I do have some online live workshops. Um, so every season, like right now, I actually have opened up enrollment for the fall workshops for kids, and then I also have fall workshops for teens. Um, it's like series of different sessions that teach them about different things like investing, um, like credit score, proper management of debt, budgeting, and so on. Um, and um, I've also done the same thing for parents. And, and then I've also created some of these courses just to kind of sit online on my website so people can purchase them. Uh, but it's definitely a different experience. I, I personally prefer to teach in person because I can engage the, I can engage my audience. I can, um, uh, I feel the energy. The energy is uh, really important, I think, when you're teaching. Whereas online, is, it's nice. I'm home with my kids. I don't have to travel. Um, you know, I can finish my class and I can go downstairs and have dinner with them. Um, but um, yeah, I, I kind of miss teaching in person a little bit. And I'm curious. So my wife and I have volunteered to teach at our school, and we've always been turned down. And I, I'm not sure what the reason is. But one issue I think with teaching kids about money is how do you teach kids about money when the parents aren't even doing it right? Uh, one of the school officials we pose this to drives this very very expensive vehicle, like a hundred thousand dollar pickup truck, to the school parking lot and maybe he does ranching or something else with it but i don't think he actually does so i'm trying not to be too judgmental but <laughs> him and some of these other parents i see might not be doing the right things about money so how do you how do you give the kids this message but the role model that they have most often in their life might not be the best money role model yeah, I think that's very difficult. And uh, I've come to realize over the past 10 years, um, not everybody cares about financial literacy and you really cannot help people that don't want to be helped. And unfortunately, those kids will fall through the cracks because our financial, or sorry, our education system is not picking this up and the parents are not doing it. And I feel that those kids will have to learn this on their own, uh, but that's only if they come across uh, some of, the, for example, some of these financial influencers uh, online, or if they hear of FI, or, um, but on their own, a lot of times the kids that grow up in an environment like that where the parents are overspending money, um, they, don't, they don't clue in that this is not a typical way to live. Um, to them, you know, having debt is normal. To them, uh, changing cars every two years and driving the latest and the greatest is normal. Um, because this is how they've been raised. That's their baseline. Sure. Yeah. Um, I had a follow-up question, which I cannot remember. <laughs> yeah. It, it, do you think, and you mentioned things have changed in the schools there. One interesting thing about our school, at least, is one of the reasons they said we couldn't go teach them about money is they said that's not a part of their curriculum. Where They're like, we're a math and science academy. We don't, we're not going to include anything about money or personal finance in our curriculum. Is it different in Canada? It's not different. It's actually very difficult to get into schools. Um, I've tried so hard. And to be honest with you, um, I am grateful for this ability to, to do this online now because it's no longer up to schools to, to let me come in inside and teach this. 
uh, because many of them wouldn't. It was like the doors were just shutting in my face all the time. And I, I remember thinking, I was like, why am I even doing this? But, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I care about it. I truly, passionately care about it. I want to teach as many people as possible because I think if we can teach the younger generations, hopefully they can have a better life, we can have a better society. Um, but schools are very particular. In Canada, um, you have to apply to be a vendor. Um, and that process is ridiculous. Like, I've gone through it. I don't want to bore you with it. Um, it is just extremely difficult. Um, and I, even though, like, I've been to some of the schools, but some school boards are still like, oh, we, we, you know, even though you've taught and, you know, people want you to come back, the teachers, the parents, whatever, they're like, we still want you to become a vendor, yet they won't give you a vendor license. Um, yeah, there are a lot, there's a lot of red tape. Um, I personally don't understand it. I think that some schools also have other priorities. I think a lot of them are focusing on, um, I know that a lot of them had a focus on like healthy eating and like preventing bullying and, you know, which are all worthy causes. So they sort of have to, I guess, maybe pick and choose who they want to bring into their schools. Sure. For the ones that you were able to get into, like what made them accept you? they just have the extra bandwidth or someone had an interest personally so the very first one actually it was just a friend of a friend that i met he was a principal at the school and that was in 2013 it was my very first one and it was kind of crazy because i ended up teaching the whole school all the way from grade one to i believe it was grade six um, it took me a, a week and a half to teach every single class and i obviously had to change the lessons to make them age appropriate so that was a, a friend um i ended up some people ended up just finding me online some teachers and they would bring me in sort of sneak me in really because they were not supposed to be doing that like i i would have to go to again like i would have to apply to be a vendor and do it properly but when i did that um and again maybe you know maybe we shouldn't be getting into this it's a long <laughs> process maybe we can talk about it afterwards but yeah it's uh, lots of red tape that's hilarious the sneaking you in i'm picturing like the opposite of a prison movie where the person is in yeah. the laundry cart you're on the uh the food cart or something underneath and, okay this person's going to talk about money for a couple minutes yeah. and the kids were interested the kids love this kind of stuff you know a lot of times and some of sometimes people uh, comment on my instagram they're like well let the kids be kids but kids want to learn about money sure. how many little kids uh pretend you know they're paying for something with like a, a pretend card or they're grocery shopping and um, kids want to learn about money. It makes them feel grown up. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder, because I know, Carl, like you said, you tried to get in there, but maybe maybe you could try to pitch again, maybe talk directly to the teacher, maybe dress up, wear a collared shirt or something. <laughs> yeah. It, well, the other thing, that a collared shirt, I don't know. That, that's too far, Doug. Uh, the interesting thing is... Pants. So, it, Look presentable. Pants? Oh, God, I don't know if I even own any of those. I, I'm not even sure what those are anymore. But some interesting thing was some of the teachers have actually found out who we are, mostly through Mindy's podcast, because that's pretty big, Bigger Pockets Money. And they want to talk to us on a personal level, but we can't go into their classroom. That's happened multiple times. But oh, really? We could talk to the teachers, but we can't talk to the kids. But I like to think maybe those teachers are turning around and teaching the kids something. Yeah, interesting. Okay, we have some nice questions here we can get into. So what's the biggest mistake parents make? Um, I think the biggest mistake parents make, like in terms of teaching kids money or... Yeah. Yeah, that I guess that's what we're that. talking about, right? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I think, personally, I think a lot of times people think that, oh, you know, if I just give my child some money, 
they automatically know what to do with it. And that's not the case. Um, we really have to take the time to teach them what they have to do with that money. So for example, if we give allowance, it's not just, oh, here's some allowance and go run with it. It's kind of like, okay, um, this is allowance, this is the money coming in, let's teach you pay yourself first principle. So which means that take a portion of that allowance, put it into savings account, and then the rest of it, uh, perhaps they can allocate to either spending or donating. And then with time, you know, when they keep saving uh, a certain amount of allowance, you know, that, um, that amount is going to accumulate, hey, let's teach you how to invest that. And uh, let's, so it, it's, it's not just giving the money, it's all these lessons that come with the money. Because a lot of parents tell me, well, you know, I give allowance, but it's like, okay, so, but why? What do you do with it? What's the purpose? Okay, and this next question comes from me, but I'd like to tell you a, a quick story before that. I, I have two kids, they're only two years apart, but they're so different. And I remember with our older kid, we would make them earn money, they would have an allowance, and then they could spend the money. We would try to encourage them to save it. But with our older one, we would go to a store and the kid would be like, okay, I'm going to buy this. So I would go to her, I'm like, okay, you can buy this, but if you spend that $10, it's going to be gone. And you're going to have to do all that work again to earn it, unloading the dishwasher and all these chores that we have you do. And she would sit there and think about it. And then she would always decide, okay, Dad, I think you're right. I'm going to save it. Our other one, I give the same talk to it. She's like, okay, it's in the cart. I'm, I'm buying it. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, so my question was, is there a one-size-all solution? How do you even go about teaching this skill to so many diverse personalities, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly it. So there is no one-size-fit-all. Um, there are actually few things that uh, families, in my opinion, need to do. Like, I've developed this framework after so many years of teaching this and talking to so many different parents and seeing what works, what doesn't. Um, so number one thing is really all the parents, I think all the families need to figure out their what their what are their family values? What is it that they care about? Because we all have different values. We all parent differently. So teaching kids about money is also different from family to family. And there is no right way of doing it. Uh, the second thing is what you just talked about. It's the children's money personalities. So they are, uh, we're all born with different money personalities. Uh, there's a great book out there uh, by Jolene Godfrey. She is, in my opinion, pioneer of um, financial literacy for kids. Um, when I started teaching my kids about money, there was not much material out there. Now there's quite a lot. So some 10 years ago, uh, that was the only book that I was able to find on Amazon uh, that was teaching kids about money. Uh, and then there was another one from CPA Canada. But uh, Jolene actually discusses that there are seven different money personalities that we're all born with. And uh, you, you can probably think of maybe, let's say, you and your sibling. Uh, you were raised by the same parents, but you have different money personalities. Um, and so it's very common to have two kids, like I've got kids, um, and they, when, I mean, now they're money personalities, we've sort of altered them, I guess, as parents. But originally I had a saver and a spender. And um, I'll give you an example. So just to kind of tie all this in. So our family values, and again, this is just for us and for everybody else, it could be different, is to have a balanced money approach. Meaning that, you know, as long as we pay our bills and we put some money aside for retirement or whatever, the rest of the money, and let's say we donate to charity, the rest of the money is there for us to have fun and enjoy life. And I think for me, coming from Bosnia and Bosnia and warm, I think that's really important to me to enjoy life. Like that is huge. So um, my saver, yeah, it's great. You know, he would save all his money. He would not want to spend any of his money. But 
I wanted to teach him that it's okay to spend money. It's okay to spend money on things that we enjoy as long as you're, you know, he's responsible. And my little spender, um, my gosh, like money would burn a hole in her pocket. She wanted to spend every single little penny. And she would even give money to her friends when they would come over for play dates. So I had parents call me after play dates. They're like, oh, my kid came home with this money. Should we be returning this? And I'm like, no, keep it because she needs to learn a lesson that next time we go to Toys R Us, or another store, she has no money to spend because she gave it away. And I don't, it was kind of like, okay, why is she doing that? Is she want to be liked? Like, you know, kind of, you kind of get into all of that. But uh, with her, we also, it's like, you know, if you think of um, this, I guess, teaching kids money and like they're both on different ends of the spectrum. We as family, my husband and I, we had to kind of bring them to the middle. We had to teach my little spender that, you know, Okay, you have to save your money and uh, there's, you know, also like when you want to spend your money, maybe you can look at like coupons and like spend less. Uh, so she is so much better now. She's, I'm actually really proud of her. And also with my son, um, he's, he's gotten better. I mean, he's still, it's so funny. Like he's a teenager now and he's like, um, he's like, yeah, I don't need much. He's very low key and um, I mean, that's just his personality, but my goal is to make sure that he knows it's okay to spend money and enjoy life. Cool. And what was your money personality? Um, what is? When, when my money personality when yeah. I was a kid? Oh gosh, I was a spender. Okay. Uh, I, I think the money was burning a hole in my pocket. But then I think as I got older, there's a money personality. Um, gosh, I forget what Jolene Godfrey calls it, but it's people who uh, um, we're not cheap. I guess we're frugal. It's a little bit of a difference. It's like I uh, I actually take pleasure in um, saving, not saving, uh, spending less on something, but delivering more value out of it. So um, I don't mind spending money, but I try to extract as much value as possible out of the experience or out of um, the thing that I buy. So for example, our trip to Egypt, uh, we spent, uh, and I know this is a lot of money for some people, so I... I you know, I kind of, kind of, sometimes don't even like talking about this, but we spent $7,000. Now, that trip would have been about $20,000 for the whole family for what we experienced, uh, but we used our points to book the travel, we negotiated, um, we, we had like a lot of other uh, things that we did to bring down the price. So we got all this crazy value, um, but for a lot less than sure. what normal price would be. So I think that's sort of my personality, money personality shift, shifted. Okay. What, yeah. what do you, you haven't read the book, have you? I have not. I haven't either. But I, I think I kind of fall into that. Like, I don't, I'm not afraid to spend, I'm happy to save. I want to get a lot of value. Like, I'm probably yeah. in that same period. I think my, my, my thing is like, I think my biggest pet peeve is like, when I think I'm going to get value out of something, and let's say, you, there are some circumstances where you cannot negotiate or you cannot get a deal, right? Like you're just like, okay, you know what? Um, this is worth it. I'll pay the full price. My biggest pet peeve is when I don't get the value that I thought I was going to get. Um, so I don't know. I guess yeah. that's my money personality. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Carl, do you have any guesses of what you might be without knowing anything about the book or the other something types? Do you think you're a spender, saver, or the whatever you just yeah. described? Yeah, there are actually people also, sorry, Carl, I'm just going to mention another personality. There are yeah. also people who um, don't care about money at all. They don't want to talk about it. It doesn't interest them. So it's actually very difficult for parents of these children to engage them to even learn about money. They want nothing to do with it. Money doesn't exist yeah. in their world. Yeah, I guess to answer your question, Doug, I'm 
yeah, I think I've always been a person that cares about efficiency. I like to do everything at the best way possible. I, I remember as a kid, I would think about driving and, oh, we should organize our trips this way. And I still do it to minimize left turns and to go like clockwise. So we don't have to make left turns. We can make right turns, leave at a certain time of day. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I told, oh, I love that job, like designing the logistics for the trucks. But yeah, yeah. I, I would say I was a born saver because I always... I found more joy in saving money and investing it and hustling than spending it. My, I have two younger sisters and they had a name for me. They would call me Mr. Cheapo because they'd be like, you've got this money and you want this radio, you should just buy it. And I'd be like, well, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just going to save it. And, and they're the opposite. And one of them is pretty close in age to me. And uh, yeah, she was more likely to spend money versus saving it. And I think you're absolutely right. There's... Uh, argument that rages in the FI community every once in a while. I remember someone tweeted, there's no such thing as a born saver. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's the way to put it, but there's some conservativeness in my personality that lends me, that makes me more likely to save money. And it's not just about money. I realize that it's about other things, but yeah, I agree with you in this book with the seven different types. I really do believe we are born with a certain type, a certain disposition to how we manage money. Yeah, and I think you sound exactly like my son. What you just described, that's the, my son's personality. And he was he's always been this way. And um, I find that really interesting. And another money personality, I'm just gonna mention, it's a hustler. So these are the kids that will find a deal in every situation. But with these kind of kids, um, you have to guide their moral compass because you know they're hustlers they they'll figure out oh i can make a deal out of this like but sometimes it could be legal right so you have to help them navigate that and i think my husband is more of a that personality right so um when he tells me some things he did as a child i'm like oh my gosh like i wouldn't have even thought of doing it but you know some of it you have to be very careful with yeah hey doug you were a bit of a hustler with you had a lawn care business when you were in high school right yeah that's right yeah yeah hustling and I, I didn't do anything illegal that I that I know of but uh but yeah I, I got out there and I'm not afraid to work yeah we yeah. had a in our when I was a CFO of a private school um so it was so funny because I had a team of like, like accountants bookkeepers and uh, one lady came to me and she's like you will not believe what happened I said well what happened so we had this um cafeteria and um they had this amazing deal for kids that, that the parents would actually prepay for, but the kid would get um, an appetizer, main course, uh, a dessert, uh, a drink, and I believe there was something else. So five different things. It was just way too much food for one child to consume. So apparently there was this black market happening in the cafeteria <laughs> where these kids were selling to their friends and making money on the side. And my, I remember my coworker being so upset about it. And I was like, this is genius. I'm like, we need to steer these kids in the right direction. I'm like, these are future entrepreneurs. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so good. Uh, and now that you're mentioning that, I'm pretty sure I did sell some of my lunch or like have deals like that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Well, I, I do know we have a limited amount of time. So uh, we should keep pushing through here. Um, Carl, I think this one's yours. Many adults suck with money. So what hope is there for their children? Maya, what, what do you think? I'm sure you've run into that. Yes, oh, 100%. Um, I think, yes, many of them do suck with money. Um, but I think if they realize they suck with money and they can start educating themselves, then yes, there is hope. But if they don't understand or they don't care, some of them simply do not care. Um, I feel bad for those kids, honestly, because again, the, um, our education system is not picking this up. Um, these children 
will fall through the cracks. I think that um, hopefully, uh, I think financial literacy is being introduced into schools more. So hopefully these kids will learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, somebody has to advocate for these kids and I don't know how we get through to them without parents who are interested or the school that's interested. Okay, so here's a question. A parent comes up to you and says, hey, I know who you are. I don't know anything about money. Can you give me three quick and dirty tips about how I can teach my kids about money? So I would say number one is, uh, you know, fix, not fix, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Number one is figure out your own money mindset. Uh, because besides the personality, money personality, we are all uh, we all have different money mindsets that depend on uh, the environment that we grew up in. So things we heard about money from our parents, our teachers, uh, social media, whatever, TV, um, things we emotionally experience when it comes to money. Uh, whether that's uh, you know we we were upset about certain incidents or maybe um, happy or who knows, and then. Um, just understand what is our own money personality, uh, sorry, money mindset before we start teaching our kids because we can pass down some negative, um, neg I guess some negativity around money, like for example, or like limited beliefs, like, for, you know, that money is limited um, and, you know, you can, it's really hard to come by, whereas, you know, in this community we all know that you know there are different ways that you can do side hustles or you can make money um, you know kind of like the sky is the limit as long as you uh, keep pushing so that that would be number one just making sure that our mindset is right before we start teaching our kids the second one I would say is um, allowance there are four different ways to do allowance there's no right or wrong um, but the idea behind it is really to shift the purchasing responsibility from you onto them so that they can make mistakes when dollar values are low and stakes are not high so they can learn from those mistakes when they're younger rather than like when they have a six-figure salary um, and the third thing I would say um, if there's another parent involved or a guardian just make sure that you're on the same page so you're teaching the same concepts the same values um, because it's really difficult when you know parents are not on the same page it's like parenting right like they can turn one parent against another so I think that's really important. Awesome. Perfect. And we have a couple more to go here, but before before we start wrapping, so you create on Instagram, right? That's your yes. main platform. So was that challenging getting started? Um, social media can be a bit of a grind. Not everybody loves what everyone's doing. So yeah, talk, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's very challenging. I mean, I've kind of my account has blown up in the last little while um, but it took me two years <laughs> to get there um, and I find that um, it, it is very challenging because sadly um, what I have noticed through the comments and direct messages that people have been sending a lot of people are looking for that get rich quickly kind of scheme or how can I make my kid rich or how can I make how can I invest or what do I the, the best question is like a fully loaded question it's like what do I invest in and it's like well there are so many moving parts and layers in, in order to answer that um, so I feel like everybody it is really challenging because I, I want to deliver value and the depth and the breadth of the content um, but I feel like a lot of people may not necessarily be interested because today's attention span of people that are in social media is very short. Everybody just wants like a five or 10 second video that tells you how to get wealthy. Right, yeah, yeah. Have you had anything go viral? Pardon me? 
Have you had anything go viral of your Yeah, fashion? I had, oh my gosh, yes. So some videos, it's so funny because with Instagram, you never know what's going to hit. Um, some videos that I've done where I'm like, okay, this really is important. Everybody should know this. They barely get any views. And then something that I filmed literally in the parking lot while waiting for my daughter to finish one of her activities. And just by fluke, by fluke, there happened to be a Porsche behind me. One of those reels just blew up. It was like so weird, uh, but yeah, you never know. Cool. Yeah. It's pretty fun though? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I have yeah. fun with it. Cool. All right, what does a perfect day look like for you? Uh, a perfect day is actually a balance of spending some time just by myself, working out, meditating, reading, uh, then spending time with my family and friends, like the getting those connections, like quality time with them. Um, and I love what I do. I really love what I do. And I love working and creating content and teaching. I just get a kick out of it. So if I could just balance all of those three things, that would be a perfect day. Very cool. Nice. And where can people find you? Um, yeah, they can find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm under the name of teach.kids.money. There are some impersonators out there, sure. unfortunately. So just make sure you're following the right account. Um, and I also have Wealthy Kids Investment Club. Um, that's my membership club that teaches families how to successfully invest. So uh, the link for that is wealthykids.club, not, not .com, .club, so wealthykids.club. Cool. And we'll link up to that. Who's the like target age or the target group? for the, the course or yeah so I have a different courses as well that's uh, on my website but um, and you can find that through Instagram so the the uh, the two workshops are for kids and for teenagers for kids it's from ages 8 to 12 and then teenagers ages 13 to 18 uh, the wealthy kids investment club is for families so all like so when we talked about parents that don't know what they're doing or whatever it's uh, it's also for those parents as well as for their children they can go through the content on they're together or separately. Sometimes I have parents of toddlers that are going through the content on their own because they want to create better future for their kids. Got it. Cool. Yeah, we'll link up to your Instagram and uh, the course and you know anywhere else you need us to. So thanks, Maya. This has been awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you guys so much. for having me. This has been great. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five, and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person, so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer. This show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.
Are we still doing a sound check? Um, sure, we can do one now. Yeah, we can do one real quick. So, Maya, what have you been up to this week? This is a sound check that we'll play at the end of the episode. So, Maya, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I've been here at FinCon connecting with all these wonderful uh, financial literacy creators and uh, just enjoying my time here. And then have you been to uh, Florida before? Once. Okay. Oh, no, actually twice. Twice, yes. Okay. But this cool. is exciting because we actually, I came here with my family. Sure. So uh, we spent some time visiting the Keys and uh, different parts of Florida. It's been fun. Awesome. Very cool. And then, uh, Carl, how do you like Florida? Um, I do not have... God, i got to be careful <laughs> what I say. I'm going to have people from Florida sending me hate mail. Uh, it, it's very humid here and it rains, so we... Doug, I know we've been trying to go in the pool in the lazy river like every afternoon, but then there's rain and thunder like every afternoon, so our, our plans are foiled. Maybe it's just like that this week and not usually like that, but I think it is usually like that. I think so. Yeah, my dream, I like uh, water parks and stuff, and literally yeah. I put on my trunks like three days in a row, and I'm walking down, I have a towel, smiling, and then boom, thunder hits, and they shut the whole pool down, and it rains for like a few hours. Thunder, it's been nuts. Yeah. I only so. did it for like 10 minutes with my kids because we came here before the conference yeah. and um, the kids were begging me, they're like, let's do it. And I was doing some work. And anyway, in the end, I ended up going to the lazy river and whatnot, but we only did it for 10 or 15 minutes. And same thing, there was lightning and thunder. They had to clear everything out. Yeah. So fingers crossed today, we may be able to get out there. Then I was going to maybe try to go early in the morning, but I stayed up too late last night. So um, you were you were smart. You went to bed early. Did you party last night or? We just went to that. Uh, what is it? The pro mixer, okay. and then we ended up going for dinner with some friends, and that was it. Way so. smarter. I, I gotta just shut down earlier. What tonight. did you do? Where did you go? Yeah. Um, so there was there were a couple like private parties upstairs with open bars. So somehow I found my way into those. And then it was very late. Like uh, I actually stayed until they shut down the lobby bar, and then told us we couldn't even sit there anymore. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, it was God. way too late. What time was that at, Doug? It was about three. Holy cow! No wonder why you sound like you do today. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a bad move. Bad move. But I'm running on caffeine and um, adrenaline right now, and I'm going to crash in a little while. So, all right, we better get started. <laughs> 